0: This week on the Embedded Insiders, Brandon and Rich discuss an age-old controversy. What's more secure, proprietary or open-source software? That discussion leads into an interview with Kate Stewart, Senior Director of Strategic Programs at the Linux Foundation, who joins the podcast to explain how the Zephyr Project responded to 25 vulnerabilities recently uncovered in its open-source code base by the NCC Group, an independent security analysis firm. After reassuring the insiders by detailing the steps taken to remedy those bugs and explaining the security practices in place at the Zephyr project, Stewart continues to introduce the Embedded Linux and Safety Applications, or ELISA project, which seeks to better align Linux software and tools with the requirements of safety-critical industries. Where does ELISA fit in with other projects like RT Linux? And how can the software test community help accelerate the expansion of Linux into platforms ranging from road vehicles to rockets?
1: Welcome to the Embedded Insiders. I'm Brandon Lewis, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded Computing Design, and I'm here with Rich Nass, who's the Brand Director, VP, uh, Overlord of Embedded Computing Design. How are you doing, Rich? I am doing good, except that your, your intro is, makes me think of Darth Vader, and I don't know
2: if that's a good thing.
1: Okay, I have a question for you. What <laughs> does what does Darth Vader say? What's the most famous line in all of Star Wars?
2: Well, I know well, it's it's not a Darth Vader line, but the Darth Vader line that I always hear is Luke, I am your
1: father. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? I have not. So the Mandela effect is this. This theory that, you know, they're, I don't know, string theory, universes collide and things change and, and things that we all remember are not now the way that they once were. So in the Mandela effect, the Darth Vader Star Wars thing is an example of that. He doesn't say, Luke, I am your father. He says, no, I am your father. Do you believe that? Well, I have all the DVDs here, so I'm going to go back and
2: look and we're done.
1: <laughs> but
2: Where are you going with
1: this? I I don't know. That I've just I heard about the Mandela effect and I was reading about it and I just
2: anyway. Alright, well I have actually there's there's another line from Star Wars that uh I live by and I think that you do as well. And uh one of my kids actually made it for me for my for Father's Day the other day. It is the Yoda quote.
1: There is no try. Do or do not, there is no try. Yep. I actually have that on my desk in the office, which I haven't been to for a while, so I'll have to. So what does this have to do with open know. source? I don't know. Yeah, this is, big, this is a mess. <laughs> well, there are so many There's so many Star Wars fans out there. I hope they appreciate, appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're talking about open source, and we've actually been talking about, about that fairly frequently lately. And there's a debate that's been going on for years about whether or not open source is more or less secure than your traditional proprietary offering. And we're actually going to get into that a little bit later with Kate Stewart of the Linux Foundation um, based on a a report that the NCC group published. But but what's your take? Open source or closed source, what's more secure?
2: There is no question that, I don't know if closed source is even a word, but uh, a commercial piece of software is way more secure than open source.
1: Well, why is that? Because the argument is, and it's hard to refute, that if you have open source code that's out there in the wild, let's, I'll just take Linux because it's the best, most popular example. There are millions, you know, potentially millions of eyeballs sitting on that code, looking at how it's reacting in certain contexts, what happens when you access this sort of a resource or you you call this function from memory how can you compete with that if you're just one company
2: because there's a, a percentage of those people whose whose eyeballs you have looking at it are wearing a black cowboy hat
1: what does that mean
2: that means they're bad guys that they're looking to do
1: malicious things i'm from arizona black cowboy hats don't mean you're a bad guy but <laughs> <laughs> white hat black hat i know well i just don't i don't no, if I completely agree with that, because just because they're a bad guy, that doesn't mean that they're able to change the code in a way that everybody else isn't going to recognize. There are also people wearing white cowboy hats that are looking at it. And I would like to assume that most people are wearing white cowboy hats rather than black ones. But don't you
2: assume that most people who are making adjustments to this code are making these adjustments to make the code? run more efficiently and don't really have their eye on the security ball whereas a commercial vendor is staking his company on the fact that the code is secure
1: you know that's one thing that i will i will concede is that if you are a commercial vendor you're developing your code within certain contexts you know like a, an operating system vendor for example like wind river or a mentor develops their operating system and then ports it to a specific target now the problem that you're doing that you run into if you're in Linux is you know maybe uh, you know there's a certain distribution out there and you're trying to uh, optimize it for a particular use case and so then that code gets upstreamed um, you know everybody's out there using it at will but it may not have been Considered in the context of which you are looking to use it. Now, in this case, Linux may be a bad example because if you're a data center, for for instance, it's a pretty it's a pretty Intel x86 dominated environment. But in other cases, let's say like we're going to talk about Zephyr in a little bit. Zephyr is an an IoT RTOS. And the problem with having an IoT RTOS is that you have to make sure that it's ported to a bunch of different platforms. And in the MCU world, having all of these different architectures can mean, okay, well, I, I looked at this uh, code base on a on an ST uh, on an ST target. It works great in this context, but what about NXP, Microchip, you know, every other architecture out there?
2: Yeah, but I don't know if Zephyr's really a good example because it, it isn't what we call classic open source in that it just anybody can go in and willy-nilly make changes to it. It's open source in the fact that it it's free, but it's but it's not open that you could just go in and make changes without somebody approving those changes.
1: They're maintainers of most popular open source software. You know, it's not like you know you go in, you change the code. And then the code is that way for everybody for all time. You know, you have, you have to pass it through a maintainer. Otherwise none of this stuff would work, Mm -hmm. but it may just be that who is the maintainer, right? You know, if the maintainer is somebody who is used to this sort of environment, like an arm based environment, for example, they may be running security checks or, you know, putting the code through its paces, thinking about it this way versus
0: that way. That's fair. The insiders are now joined by Kate Stewart, Senior Director of Strategic Programs at the Linux Foundation, who explains how the Zephyr project responded to vulnerabilities found in its code base. More information on EmbeddedComputing.com in the article, Another IoT Security Uh Uh-Oh, 26 Flaws in Open Source Zephyr and MCU Bootstacks.
1: Recently, NCC Group did an independent security analysis of the Zephyr Zephyr operating system, and they found some vulnerabilities. There were 25 or so. I wanted to know uh, what has Zephyr done at this point to address some of those findings from NCC?
3: So at this point, before the report came out, we had addressed pretty much all of the critical high and most of the medium severity bugs. And they all went, fixes for those all went into the 2.3 release, which is our development tip. Um, when the results came in and we've also got back ports going back to our LTS and to our last release, which was the 2.2. And then it was a 1.14.2 a release that came out. So those all have the security fixes in them. And, you know, we're taking security pretty seriously at Zephyr. There's a security incident response team that has done a lot of the work of doing the analysis and then making sure that the backports as well as the fixes are in place.
2: Critical bugs. You- is that just somebody's opinion that it's a critical bug, or is there an actual benchmark that says this is critical?
3: How well, the NCC group classified them, and so I'm just relaying it on from that perspective. But we went through um, how they've classified the bugs, and then we did our own analysis, and this is what we made sure we fixed, and we opened up vulner. We have our own uh, database, and we worked it through and to our release criteria actually for the release to make sure that everything was addressed.
1: And actually, on that point, the Zephyr project has a little bit of a correlation with the uh, CVE CWE, isn't that correct?
3: Yeah, Zephyr project is one of the few open source projects. It's actually its own CVE numbering authority or CNA, and we've had this status now for a couple of years. Um, up till this point, recently, we've just been getting ones and twos type of vulnerabilities coming being reported to us by researchers and things that we found, and so we're really very um, appreciative of the f- efforts that the NCC group did to go through and really study the code base and find issues for us. In Zephyr, we already do a certain amount of uh, static analysis with Coverity, and you know we're we're sort of always looking for ways to help to improve the code base and harden it. And the fact that the NCC group found these vulnerabilities and they're now fixed is really exciting for us.
1: So. Uh, just to say it in plain, plain English, anybody who's now moving on to to Zephyr uh, 2.3 is going to be fine. All of those mid to high level vulnerabilities have been patched, fixed, and they're good to go,
3: right? Indeed they are, yes. In theory. There's always more vulnerabilities out there. There's always code. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, okay. I mean, we are very transparent about our code base, and we welcome people working with us to fix it to make it better.
2: Sorry, I, I play the cynic role here.
3: It's okay. Um, I'm sort of cynical. Like you say, bugs happen. And I think that the high, best indicator for higher quality is the transparency of the source code.
1: We should make a bumper sticker, bugs happen. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> as far as the development practices, though, there there is a, a formalized committee and working group you mentioned uh, that whenever there are uh, new versions of Zephyr, it passes through that committee, but what about the community?
3: Well, so we actually have a security community that meets every two weeks to look at anything that people have flagged as potentially a security issue. So we have an active working committee chaired by Lavi Cirlan from Intel, and then our security architect is David Brown from Lenaro. And they have the expertise in this area, as well as other of our members are participating actively in uh, making sure that we make our code as robust as possible and are adhering to uh, the security best practices, all of our security practices have been documented, either on our documentation on our website, or we've also um, have the, the CII best practice badge. That is something a project that was been started about five years ago, and Zephyr is actually one of the five gold badged um, projects and. We've been there now for about a year and a bit. Our projects care about security as well as quality. um, We've gone in and publicly documented and passed the criteria.
1: Kate, there's also something going on within the Linux Foundation, uh, unrelated to Zephyr now, but it's called the ELISA project. Can you explain what that is a little bit to
3: us? Yeah. So the ELISA project is focusing on figuring out what we need to do to close the gaps between what's happening in the safety standards world and with Linux. And so it's more focused about safety rather than security. Linux right now has a, you know, has a whole infrastructure around security. We're seeing Linux being used in a lot of safety critical applications, but we're not seeing the same sort of community available that's there for security actually having for safety. So Elise least there to help start to form that community and to start to um, help figure out how we can make it, the Linux kernel more robust and more dependable in these types of circumstances.
2: I think that's pretty awesome because so many people lump those two things together, and they assume if your system yep. is safe, it's secure, and vice versa. And it's nice to yeah. see you guys are actually breaking that apart.
3: Right, and you know we've talked we're talking about Lisa here too, but Zephyr also has a safety community that's also taking looking at safety as a separate topic than security, and they're focusing on what does, what's necessary to put the evidence in place that you can go after safety certification there too. So both projects are looking at safety, um, Zephyr and Elisa. And like I say, Linux has a really good uh, set of people working on security already and has security summits and so forth. And Zephyr's trying to grow in that direction now.
1: With uh, the Elisa project, what work is being done there? I know in the past there's been, uh, you know, real-time extensions for Linux, et cetera. Is Elisa building off of that work, working in parallel with, collaborating?
3: Uh, well, Elisa is focusing on the upstream, and so in that sense that the real-time Linux is working on focusing on getting all the preempt RT stuff upstream because um, a lot of safety applications need real-time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a definite follow-on from having the real-time preempt RT and real-time upstream. Um, the ELISA project is looking and trying to understand what the safety uh, certifications are asking for in terms of evidence. And then trying to figure out how what we're doing in the Linux kernel today is actually matching up to that. So we've got, I guess, three different ways of looking at this. We've got the way of how does does what's happening in this kernel match up with what the standards are asking for and the safety culture and, you know, what what are the gaps? So there's a group, a working group specifically focused on what are the gaps, the hardening configuration for the security, what might be the equivalent for safety? you know, what are the good defaults to use? So there's people looking at that. There's another group of people that are looking at, okay, there's a lot of um, functionality like memory management, isolation, how the scheduler works, things like that. Those types of concepts and looking at it from the software architectural level and trying to figure out, okay, what are the important pieces? What are the interfaces? How do we make sure that we can do the right argumentation for what's in the kernel today? The third group is and actually it's the fourth, fifth, and sixth, too, potentially, um, is how do we take a look at a system and understand where Linux is being used in the system and what is necessary and sufficient for the argumentation to convince yourselves that you've made it as safe as you can if you've got Linux in it. And all the safety standards that I'm aware of pretty much don't take a project on its own. They take a project in the concept of a system Right. And so what are some reasonable ways of breaking this down to this extent that we can understand what the interfaces on the system are? And then how can we do the, prove, it, prove it to ourselves that we're going to be safe? You know, Linux is sitting in some of these scooters, right? Mm-hmm. in the braking systems on these scooters. You don't want to go head over the heel on them. There was actually, I think, some you know, vulnerabilities were triggering some things a while back. L- Linux is sitting in our rockets today. The, the recent SpaceX launch, of the Dragon capsule. The Rockets have Linux in it and I think the capsule has Linux in it and other open source software for that matter. So Linux is pretty pervasive. So how do we make sure we have the right, we've done the right due diligence to make sure that we've thought of all the things we need to think about and that the the right levels of testing are in place, the right levels of quality are in place. How do we make Linux dependable? These are sort of the questions that that group's tackling, tackling it from the three different aspects, you know, what's there today? How do we need to look at what's inside Linux? And then how do we need to look at Linux in the context of something else?
1: All those test guys out there, uh, you mentioned Coverity and using static analysis. uh, They're probably jumping at the bit because this could open up a whole new world for them.
3: We've got some really good um, relationships starting to go with various people. Coverity has been very good about making a free version of their tool available to the projects. Linux has Coverity scans going on on a regular basis. So does Zephyr. We're also talking with some other vendors right now about making their tools available to the projects so that we can help to make things more robust. We obviously want to get more open source projects. There's a lot of work that's going on in the LLVM ecosystem on fuzzing and these forms of testing. You know, the more testing we're doing on these and the more bugs we're finding, you know, the more we're going to be able to depend on the code.
0: Stuart will present on both Alyssa and Zephyr projects during the Linux Foundation's Open Source Summit North America, a virtual event taking place from June 29th to July 2nd. For more information or to register, visit events.linuxfoundation.org. Thanks for listening to this edition of Embedded Insiders. For daily industry news, videos, and podcasts, visit our website, embeddedcomputing.com.